connection to the ancestors and the saints is an expansive, <laughs> an expansiveness that for me reflects like the even greater expansiveness of the divine that holds all of that. Yeah, allows us that connection. Hi, I'm Lacey Clark Alman of AsacredJourney.net. I'm a spiritual director, facilitator, and guide, and you're listening to Pilgrim Podcast, a show exploring spirituality and intention in travels and daily life and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. This episode is brought to you by my upcoming Creation Pilgrimage. Join me in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, May 19th through 25th, 2018, as we draw close to the creation narrative and spend a week immersed in the natural world using creation as our text and the creative impulse as our guide. Save $200 when you register by November 30th, 2017. You'll also get access to Journey Guide and the opportunity to participate in my new Pilgrim Principles online course for free in the new year. Learn more at asacredjourney.net slash journeys. Today I'm talking to online abbess and pilgrimage guide Christine Walters paintner of abbeyofthearts.com about ancestral pilgrimage. Let's begin the journey. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Lacey. It's wonderful to be with you. It feels especially important to have you here. This episode will be launching on All Saints Day and to be talking to you about ancestral pilgrimage, which I know has been a huge part of your journey and something I feel like you've kind of introduced me to as well. Um, Yeah, it just feels like a gift to have you bless us with your passion in that way. Mm, thank you. Well, it's my favorite time of year. So oh, well, I'm excellent. <laughs> excellent. Well, let's get started um, with you sharing a bit about your spiritual journey. I know some of our audience might be familiar with you and your work at abbeyofthearts.com, and some, some might be new. So tell us a bit about you and um, where your journey has taken you. Uh, well, it's a really big question, and yeah. so I'll just give you like <laughs> your a interpretation, little, little uh-huh. highlights. Which stream you want to enter? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say um, my roots are in kind of Catholic tradition, but mostly the like the mystical and the prophetic tradition. Uh, and we have um, an online community uh, called Abbey of the Arts, which is meant to be a uh, more ecumenical kind of interspiritual community where people are drawn together by, um, monastic contemplative practice and creative arts. And that's really kind of the, the two strands that call to me the most in my spiritual journey is, um, uh, really deepening into contemplative ways of being in the world that are very in- heavily influenced by um, monasticism, particularly Christian tradition, the desert monks, the Celtic Irish monks, and um, the Benedictine tradition. I'm a Benedictine oblate, which means that I'm a lay person who lives out that charism in my everyday life as a married person and with work. And uh, and then the creative arts aspect of it for me has always been important as a way of yeah expressing oneself and creating beauty in the world, and I do that personally um, mainly through writing nonfiction, through poetry, and through photography, and through movement and dance, uh, which is more like just a form of expression rather than any sort of performance or things like that. So it's all kind of looking at creative arts as, um, yeah, as a, as a way of prayer and as a way mm-hmm. of meditation. And, um, yeah, and I suppose kind of woven through all of that has been this journey with the ancestors for me, which, um, pretty much started a few years after my father died uh, and I started working with a Jungian analyst and I'd say the Jungian path has been a pretty significant thread for me as well, working with archetypes and, um, shadow work and things like that. And the Jungian analyst I worked with was very interested in family systems work and ancestors and how we kind of carry the wounds of our ancestors forward. Mm -hmm. So that launched me on a journey that ultimately led me to move from the United States to Europe. So I'd say it's been pretty, pretty significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) definitely. Well, I know, and you know, obviously that was a pilgrimage very much for you and pilgrimage has become a big theme in, um, in your own work as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When we, when we moved, uh, from the U S we moved first to Vienna, Austria for six months, uh, where my father was from, I have Austrian citizenship. And then we moved to Ireland 
Um, and when we were in Ireland, we thought, oh, let's, we'll lead a couple of, you know, pilgrimages here. We've done lots of retreat work before. And uh, well, well, let's hope that a few people sign up. And Maybe. Just, uh-huh. Yeah, it's kind of become the, the main thrust just of our work. Just and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've uh-huh. been you've been with us a couple uh-huh. of times, which is pretty And you're amazing. filling up very quickly still a few years on, aren't you? Yeah, we just actually filled up for next year. We have wow. one retreat in Scotland that still has space, but it's kind of a specialized retreat. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it'll take but all the others are full, which is lovely, lovely. There's such a hunger, yeah, for Well, people. and I, I remember um, I was on the first pilgrimage you did in Ireland once you had landed there. And mm. um, when we went around and shared what had brought people to that journey, there were quite a, quite a few that had some ancestral connections. Yeah, I do find that that's a really significant part of why people are drawn in particular to Ireland uh, is this uh, some I mean, Ireland is, you know, kind of known as this place of kind of emigration, you know, where people have fled for many different reasons during many different times of Mm. famine and, you know, unemployment and so forth. And so, yeah, so the Irish root, the Irish heritage is kind of scattered all over the world and Mm -hmm. people come back here to find their Mm -hmm. roots. So Yeah. It's especially seems beautiful to see that, um, that weaving, that intertwining of the ancestral draw that brings people there. And and yet it's a spiritual draw as well in, in a way they're, they're connected. Yeah, well, there's something to me that's incredibly sacred about the land here mm. in in and of itself. I mean, and I don't have um, ancestral connections directly in Ireland that I know of, um, but but I feel this like deep connection to the, the, the land and the place. And then mm. I can imagine like have, knowing my own ancestral connections to certain landscapes, like to layer that on top of it. Like, yeah, just feel like something about the land here, I feel like holds, holds memory in a more intense way than Mm -hmm, other places mm -hmm, I've been. It's mm -hmm. kind of hard to explain. Yeah. Well, and it's that, that notion, that Celtic notion of thin place, isn't it? That you can, in a way, travel time, you can be connected on one plane, even though your ancestors or spiritual ancestors lived long ago. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's it feels the other world feels very near mm-hmm. and especially at this time of year. <laughs> well, speaking of the other world, yeah. um, since we're releasing this on All Saints Day, and that's often coupled with All Souls Day, the following day, November second, could you tell us a bit about these days and their significance? Yeah, well, All Saints and All Souls are, you know, feasts in the Christian liturgical tradition um, that are really rooted in the earlier kind of Celtic feast of Samhain. And um, All Saints is really a way of honoring um, kind of the the saints with the big S mm-hmm, <laughs> in the church, mm-hmm. this, those who've been like canonized and sort of the, the spiritual guides and mentors um, that have been uplifted by the church, but all soul, and then all souls sort of honors all of the all of the people who have passed on before us, who might be spiritual guides and mentors as well, even if they haven't gone through the yeah. <laughs> the, the process of sainthood, like saints with the small s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those who have been formative for our own personal journeys that might not be known or canonized. Yeah. 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 yeah, and then in, in some of the traditions, you know, the whole month of November is actually a month of remembrance of mm, the dead, which is mm-hmm. really beautiful. So yeah. it's like a whole season. <laughs> mm. Well, and you mentioned Samhain, which is spelled, it looks like it's Samhain, if people come come across the word, but it's pronounced Samhain. Yeah. And um, I know that that kind of is what we have come to call Halloween, though perhaps very different. So on the 31st, right before um yeah, tell us tell us about Halloween, Samhain. How how is it different than what we celebrate today? How is it similar? Well, it's you know it's one of the old Celtic feasts, and sort of the Celtic period is sort of like 500 BC kind of onward, and um, it, there's basically like four kind of Celtic harvest festivals that happen during the year that happen, they're called cross quarter days. So they happen between the solstices and equinoxes. So Samhain is the one between obviously the autumn equinox and the winter solstice here, at least here in the Northern hemisphere. And, um, yeah, it's, I, I, 
there's a lot of beauty to it. Uh, it's really, it is a time when the veil is considered to be thin. Mm -hmm. Actually, all of the Celtic festivals, the veil is thought to be thin, but it's thought to be especially thin at this time of year, mm -hmm. in part because it's also the beginning of the Celtic New Year. So I love that idea that the year, the new year actually begins in the time that we're descending into the darkness. Mm -hmm. So sort of mm -hmm. the, the honoring of like moving into that incubation time yeah. and that womb space. And really the, the reason the veil is considered to be especially thin is like the ancestors are thought to be present more keenly, more closely, more mm -hmm. more intimately at this time of year. And it's really that that ancient kind of fire festival that was then sort of taken in by the church and turned into All Saints and All Souls. So yeah. it's a very similar kind of spirit to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and, and when you say veil, you're talking about the the veil between heaven and earth. I know that's a word often yeah. used to describe that that thin yeah that thin place things seem closer yeah exactly exactly yeah. well and what you were saying you know your draw to um uh union work reminds me of how when you said you liked that this is the beginning of the year it almost seems like that the fall feels like a time of going to sleep to me in a way mm -hmm. the world yeah. around us nature is going to sleep our bodies kind of tell us to turn inward and that feels like um it connects greatly to that union world that uh that great insight can come from um dreams that our yeah. um unconscious can and, and subconscious can speak in ways that it might not be allowed in our in the waking world of life or of summer yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even, you know, the, the festival itself begins the evening before. So Halloween, actually, the word comes from All Hallows Eve. Mm. And so it's the e so Samhain actually begins the evening of October 31st and extends to the till the dusk on the November 1st. Mm. And I, so again, you have reflected that the new day begins actually the evening before, which you have very much in the particularly the Jewish tradition, you know, the Sabbath is always started on Friday night, goes to Saturday evening. But you even have that in Christian liturgical tradition. You yeah. often have the, you know, like the Christmas Eve service, mm -hmm. you know, begins the new feast. So there's mm -hmm. that honoring. I think we sometimes forget that it actually is honoring like the night as the beginning of something new. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know you said that um, All Saints Day and All Souls Day kind of came out of Samhain. And I feel like it's kind of like, you know, they placed Christmas Day on and December 25th kind of in mm -hmm. response to the the winter solstice and um kind of yeah well there was both I guess and you know and you can tell me more since since you are <laughs> embedded in in the world there that um there's a bit of covering up but a bit of coupling as well with the old traditions and having yeah. all saints day and all souls day follow Samhain this ancient yeah. feast I like to think that they, the Christian church saw, saw something mm, really mm -hmm. valuable and holy in what was already happening. Yeah. And so sort of then incorporated it into, into the Christian yeah. practice because it wasn't something they wanted to just reject mm -hmm. and leave behind. So, well, yeah. there certainly was a, a different way um, that the Celtic Christians kind of operated as opposed to the ones from Rome, it seems they were just enough removed to um, to honor those traditions and kind of create their own path. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's what draws a lot of people, I think, to mm. to Celtic Christianity. They feel in a similar <laughs> position, perhaps. Yeah. Well, tell me for those who might think the festival of Samhain is distant from their own faith, might be a little wary, might not be on the border. Um, mm -hmm. What what universal wisdom can be drawn? From its themes. I know you had mentioned too um, of the continued impact that those who have gone before us can have on our lives today and that even can come from the Bible. The Bible speaks of that as well whether it's that great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews or um, the stories of blessings and struggles that are passed down from generation to generation. So what how can we um, make make Samhain bring it into our own tradition and um, gain from its insight? Well, I think for me, the, the kind of core of it is this real belief that, that those who have passed before us have, are still kind of uh, still alive and participate in 
the world in our lives and can be real sources of support and mm. guidance and wisdom and can be allies and can, you know, help us with discernment. And also, and I'd say on the other side of that, um, you know, people who passed before us also may have carried many wounds and we may hold some of those wounds ourselves. I mean, even just from a scientific perspective, there's all these wonderful studies happening now about epigenetics and how we actually physically carry oh, wow. the wound, the wounds down through generations in our own systems. And so we can also, we can also do healing work across this veil, you know, across the threshold with the souls who've gone before us, which has been a lot of the the focus of my own personal work has mm. been that healing journey. But then, you know, then once that some of those wounds are healed, then you have this like really rich, amazing resource of people who are invested in us because they helped produce us, mm -hmm. um, you know, to sort of be the, the witnesses and the guides and the sometimes the cheerleaders mm -hmm. <laughs> along the way. Yeah, those yeah. Who, who have passed over on, on the other side. Yeah. Not as limited by, I think, what we face in everyday life. Exactly, exactly. How, so how, how did you discern that, um, that you had some wounds that might have some ancestral connections? Well, it was really fortunate, I think, for me when I walked into that office of the Union Analyst and mm. my, my mother, my father died when I was 25 and my mother died mm. when I was 33. 33 and when my father died he was a very wounded man we hadn't actually spoken in several months mm. and I was kind of relieved when he died and just mm. sort of thought okay well I'm done with that part of my life now <laughs> mm. and then my mom dies later and eight years later and she and I were very close and all of a sudden like in addition to all the grief that was brought up I also felt all this anger at my father and all the ways mm. he treated her poorly and me poorly and and uh, so I walked into this office of the spiritual director and you know he he, you know, kind of launches into family systems theory and, mm. um, you know, Jung talks a lot about the ancestors and how they come before us and how, how we're impacted. And, you know, I think early on I was sort of under the kind of naive illusion that, you know, once my father's gone, I can sort of be done with that mm -hmm. wounded part of my life. But, you know, there's so many patterns and messages and voices and things that are like woven into my own patterns yeah. and consciousness that come from him, but also come from his parents and their parents before them. You know, the, those patterns of wounding are carried down many generations. And so, yeah, so being invited into like a real safe space to start to explore, um, explore some of those family patterns, how to heal them, how to have conversations with mm -hmm. those who've passed away. Uh, has been like an incredible gift for me and incredibly freeing. Yeah. Well, it, it seems like not only, you know, you being the person doing the work and you being the one here living on earth that um, not only is it healing for you, but there's this beauty that it's set like this golden thread that it can be retroactively healing in some way. Yeah, I absolutely believe that because I, after, after 20 something years of my father and after he passed away and having done this work for many years, I, I had this really beautiful healing encounter with him, mm -hmm. uh, where, where I truly believe that he finally was able to walk into love and, yeah. And I, I mean, I know, I know the truth of that in my own being just because of how my own relationship to him has transformed and mm -hmm. how my own sense of like, um, certainty around it has lasted, even though it's, that was two years ago yeah. that that happened. Well, that's so interesting the way you say it, because so often when we think of relationship, we think of like, you know, someone, someone here, someone living, but yeah, it really, you know, if you break down the word, it's how you relate to to someone or to something. And so, of course, your relationship to your father could change even even though he had passed long ago yeah. through, through this work. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's an amazing gift, actually. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm curious, you had mentioned uh, talking with your ancestors and obviously this personal experience that you had with your father. Um, and so I imagine that might be a new and mystical idea for some what what is that and how can could we enter into that and for what for what means 
for what purpose? Well, there's a lot of layers to the work. Uh, some of it is is just exploring, um, you know, family dynamics and patterns. Kind of family systems theory looks at all different kinds of um, basically sources of anxiety in family systems and working with that. But then on a, a kind of more sort of spiritual level, I guess, is, you know, we can pay attention to our dreams as one really beautiful way to do mm-hmm. it and mm-hmm. see how our dreams are, whether our, sometimes those who passed before actually appear in our dreams, but sometimes the dreams actually reflect some of those dynamics that have come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, jur- journaling has been hugely important for me and a lot of for me, a lot of the conversations that happen, happen for me in writing. So like doing a dialogue, you know, in my imagination with Mm -hmm. the ancestors and feeling that sense of connection. um, Yeah, comes about kind of in that way. But sometimes it's just through like a guided imagination experience, like the healing that I was mentioning with my father actually happened when I was receiving a massage. And Mm. I was having this conversation with my father around this kind of sim- symbols. That's the other thing is paying attention to symbols in nature. Mm. And so I had visited my father's grave the year before, and there was a cuckoo bird flying around that was singing its cuckoo song. And I had never, ever heard one in Vienna before. And, um, and so I kind of held on to that for a while, thinking, well, what, what is my father trying to tell me through this? And, you know, this looking at the cuckoo bird, and of course the cuckoo, uh, actually, not, not a very nice bird. It actually takes <laughs> it actually takes eggs out of other birds' nests oh. and, and then lays its own eggs in there and mm. lets, lets the other birds mind them. But it actually what happened was I was calling on my father for some support in this um, situation I had with someone who was a friend and and the basically the message I got was those eggs are not yours to mind mm. and there was this like really beautiful sense of kind of like all the layers kind of coming together yeah. of kind of that mm. experience I had and I really felt that sense and then that from there is kind of where I sort of moved into the sense of like him moving towards love and yeah. it all happened kind of in my imagination and the amazing thing was when I got off the massage table I hadn't told my massage therapist any of this while it was happening and she afterwards she's incredibly intuitive mm. and she said she said I really felt your father presence and wow. present and this beautiful golden light and that was the image that kind of came was this go- walking into this golden light so it was kind of this amazing confirmation that mm-hmm. I had oh that's beautiful and it, it kind of seems interesting to me that it happened while, while you were having a massage that there was it was a time of relax I mean even just the the idea um, on our most recent episode we talked to a woman who's a yoga instructor and a mm-hmm. therapist, and we talked a lot about the body and how the body holds tension. And so, in the in the working out of these tensions, as you re- were able to relax into that, that um, you were able yeah, to I have def- that encounter as well. I definitely think it's put me in that liminal space, kind of like when we're dreaming, mm-hmm. you know, or creating something, or in um, meditation. Yeah, it definitely put me in that liminal space where I was able to be really receptive to what was happening. Yeah. Well, and that yeah. really seems to be a testament to how even imagery in the imagination has has the power to heal, really belongs in, in the spiritual realm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've got this book that uh, it's called Animals Speak, and it has, mm-hmm. you know, the symbolism, the ancient symbolism of different animal encounters. And I think some people might be a little a little wary of it as if it's some sort of horoscope or something. But I find that it really opens me up to to curiosity um, to notice an encounter. I came across a, a coyote in the woods today, which I remember your, your husband, yeah. John, mentioning that they were real. So, you know, they are in <laughs> Seattle. So ever since he said that, I've been a little suspicious, but I confirmed that that's what it was. Um, but it was... It was so rich to be able to go back. I can't remember the exact meaning now, um, but to go back and to look into it and to wonder um, with curiosity, where where might this be appearing in my life? Or with you in that encounter, you know, connecting both the cuckoo bird, but um, that's what it was, right? 
Yes. Well, it's it's kind of it's kind of like having like a wake a waking dream. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then bringing it to spiritual direction or to mm-hmm. however you want to how you can bring all the tools. You know, and dreams are such a rich part of the the Christian tradition as well, and the mm-hmm. biblical tradition. Both the Old and the New Testament are full of dreams as like you know portents and guidance mm-hmm. and so forth. So in places, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. So we can definitely respond to our waking encounters that have that sort of liminal quality to them as if they were dreams and see what, you know, and then the animals just become symbols for the inner life. It's not that they contain necessarily particular magic or, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, it feels like that, that idea of relationship again, almost where two paths intersect. You know, what means something significant for one person might not mean that for another but if you're there and open and ready to receive it could change your path it could bring healing like you've shared oh absolutely well would you you shared a bit about um your ancestral journey to your father's grave in that in that snapshot but would you share with us some stories from from some of your ancestral journeys so people can get an idea of what what a pilgrimage of this nature might look like yeah, sure. I've been to a number of places connected to my ancestors. And um, like, for instance, uh, I a few years ago, I first went to Latvia. My father was actually born in Latvia, and his father was Latvian, his mother was Austrian. And he, when he was 12 years old, the Russians invaded, and he had to flee to Austria. And he never went back mm-hmm. again. So he was essentially a refugee at the time and had to flee and uh, lived with his grandparents in Austria. And um, I've, he, when he was alive, he never, ever talked about that time of his life. And uh, so I went back with my husband to Latvia twice, actually. And when the first time we went out to this place called Yermala, which is near Riga, the capital, and Riga is a beautiful city. Yermala is kind of the coastal area. And um, just the sense, just walking in this place where I have photos of my father playing on those beaches. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think just walking in that space, feeling how first, like the, how that landscape impacted me, it's like forest right up against the Baltic sea reminds mm-hmm. me a little bit of Seattle actually. Um, and the sense of, uh, yeah, just the kind of an intimacy that you can have with somebody by walking in the same place that they were was really just felt really remarkable to me. And we ended up going back a couple of years later when it was our 40th birthdays, because we discovered that, um, the, that summer solstice was their biggest festival, but it was celebrated, it was celebrated actually the feast of St. John the Baptist. And it actually starts the the evening before, which is, you know, very much the pagan tradition. Mm-hmm. And I was actually born on June 23rd, and my husband was born on June 24th. So there was sort of that um, kind of connection. And, and it's like, so the Feast of St. John the Baptist is the biggest holiday in Latvia. Mm-hmm. And so going back there and experiencing that kind of the sense of that festival and knowing my father would have had that experience as well. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of it for me in, in the ancestral pilgrimage is just going back and walking in those spaces and letting my imagination kind of be open to connections mm-hmm. or conversation or imagining really like imagining what would it have been like to have lived here and what, you know, what, yeah, what does the landscape yeah. kind of bring forth in me? Yeah. Well, and I imagine, and this is kind of a personal question mm-hmm. so you you answer it how however you would like but um since you and john don't have children i imagine that mm. this ancestral work is especially significant it's that you're tying up some sort of thing through generations that you know in some sense ends with you yeah, you know, the, for a long time I kept, I was actually kind of annoyed by this pull to do the ancestral work because it was painful a lot mm-hmm. to kind of go into those wounds. And I just kept thinking, I don't have any children. Like, why Why am I called to this? But mm-hmm. it really was this sense of like, I'm the last 
opportunity to do this. And I, I do mm-hmm. think like each generation, like there's somebody that's called to that work. So often in a family, you'll have like the one person mm-hmm. who's often the, like the family story keeper and the one mm-hmm. who does all the research. And I think sometimes, you know, certain people are just called to it. And yeah, for me, I think there's been like an extra imperative to it because yeah. I can't pass it down to anybody mm-hmm. else to do. When it seems like the way you describe, you know, that one person in the family who feels called to it that feels very spiritual to me in a sense you know not just just an interest but um something that uh feels connected to to spirit to to god to this um greater healing work whether whether we're aware of it you know in our clicking around on ancestry.com or not oh absolutely it's it feels like for me the the connection to the ancestors and the saints is an expansive, <laughs> an expansiveness yeah. that for me reflects like the even greater expansiveness of the divine that holds all of that. Yeah, allows us that connection, mm. you know, across time and space is pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, obviously, this has deeply impacted your life and your your own journey. And I'm curious. You kind of mentioned that as well um, in the, in the work with your with your father, um, how can this also be not for a journey for us in our own healing, but something on behalf of the other I, who, who we journey for? I think of even maybe someone whose family suffered in some way or a family, you know, like, like your father, you know, who had to leave his homeland or um, maybe an ancestor who died or something something about going and journeying so that you could complete what was left undone seems really significant as well. Yeah, I definitely I definitely feel like we do a lot of this work on behalf of our ancestors. It's not just certainly not just for us. Mm. There's sort of a mutual healing that happens and for me part of like going to Latvia was going back to the place where my father had been kind of, you know, ejected from forcefully, you know, many years Mm -hmm. before and sort of reclaim that relationship. And I always had the sense, you know, I spent a lot of time in Vienna, which is where, you know, my father moved to after Latvia and where his mother's side was from. And when I was growing up, we would go and spend time with my grandfather there. And it was always like, I have like a lot of childhood memories, a lot of really like lovely nostalgia from that and memories of my father. And, and then I would start to make, John and I started making these trips back to Europe and we'd always go to Vienna and we were going every, um, every summer holiday because he was teaching high school. And then we started to go every Christmas as well. And we start, start <laughs> I'm to realize the like, you're almost there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm. But, um, but all those trips always, felt in part like I was always yeah. yeah I was always doing something on behalf of him as well like trying to re reweave a connection yeah. that was broken or well I, I imagine when you left Seattle which was five, was it five years ago yeah um and your intention was to move to Vienna and that um for various reasons didn't work out I imagine it felt you know in line with this ancestral work at the time um, and then it kind of ricocheted off to to Ireland to a new place. What what was that like for you to have that journey change and maybe have to surrender that ancestral connection for something new? Yeah, it was actually quite painful in a lot of ways. I mean, Ireland has been an amazing place for us, and I love it. And I think in many ways a much better fit for us mm-hmm. personally and for our work. But yeah, I went. You know, we moved to Vienna for six months. My um, John had a, a visa for six months, and we were doing all the paperwork to get him his residency. And I kept we kept getting a, a new letter every you know couple of weeks asking for more documents. And every time I got the letter, I would like cry because. Mm. Because the, you know, I'd show him, I, I'm not uh, fluent in German. No. I, I do I do speak German, but um, I would show my my very dear friend who grew up in Vienna uh, the letters, and even she didn't understand some oh. of what they were asking for. And so it felt like every time we got the material, and sometimes they'd ask for the same things they'd already asked for, and oh. so it was this very frustrating process. And it really did feel like I was working with some of that like wounded energy and the kind of the mm. resistance that I felt with my father like coming up and I really had to be with that 
Yeah, and it was it was difficult at times, mm. and I've had a lot of grief. I had a lot of grief when we moved to Ireland about having to let that that yeah. sort of dream go, and um, and then I, I had this, and part of the healing has come just through then visiting my father's grave and some of the stories I've shared. But even just I remember going back uh, like a year later and 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 realizing like if I didn't if I wasn't demanding anything of Vienna, then I could really enjoy her it was sort of this shift in my thinking where I had been like I was going there to Mm. to sort of really seek something in particular and I started to notice that if I went back and I just went open Mm -hmm. that was when like the delight would return so Mm. it was sort of I had to sort of shift my yeah my thinking and my relationship almost this this attachment to finding can sometimes get in the way of the receiving it seems yeah exactly exactly Mm. and thankfully we can go back uh to vienna pretty easily from ireland (laughs) oh yes just a little (laughs) hop i was um i i was just over in europe and i don't know if i was looking up flights or this or that but it just seems insane that you know from ireland or this or that you could hop over a few hour flight would what would be from me in seattle to get to where my family lives in missouri could take you to yeah vienna or italy or croatia or who knows what so slight jealousy (laughs) yeah it takes me longer to get on the from the bus from galway city to dublin airport than it does from dublin to vienna on the plane (laughs) oh wow (laughs) well i do think it is beautiful that um that even though as you said kind of you're the end of this line that um you you've looked back on the story of your ancestors but it it seems like even though there might not be those who come after you that Ireland now becomes part of your ancestral history that um you get to end the story um in your own way having done the work having um led the way you get to leave leave your mark too yeah that's a beautiful way to put it Lacey thanks um there's this wonderful kind of practice in Ireland called peregrinatio mm-hmm. you know where where you set sail in a boat essentially without any rudder or and let the current and the wind carry you to what they call the place of your resurrection mm-hmm. so it really is about letting surrendering and letting go of control and agenda and yeah. And then the place of your resurrection is kind of this place where you land, where your gifts really come to fruition and you can be of service to yeah. the community. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say that this is the place of my resurrection just because I think it's sort of like, I think in the stories of the old uh-huh. monks, they're often called again later on in their lives mm-hmm. to a new place. So who Don't knows? Settle but, too soon. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly. But at this point in my life, yeah. it does feel like it was this gift that was offered to us. Yeah. And, and it is a place of, of John's um, ancestry. Mm-hmm. So he has that maternal lineage connection. Yeah, and, that weaving that weaving together yeah. and and how beautiful to think that those stories you know that pergonazio and all all of that were waiting for you mm-hmm. as you as you landed there that they um yeah were prepared for you in a way to yeah to so many of the, so much of the celtic imagination and the practices helped me make sense of the journey yeah. that i've been on so it was really wonderful well, if, if someone who's been listening wants to go deeper, how might they craft an ancestral journey at home and also perhaps a pilgrimage abroad if they feel led to, to travel? And I, and I guess I, another question with that too is mm-hmm. does an ancestral pilgrimage have to be to a destination that was of meaning to your ancestors or could you take this work that you're doing on a journey and um, because you're in a different place than home, I'm sure it could still kick up things in similar in similar ways. Yeah, well, I definitely think you can do a lot of this work at home. I mean, just, you know, taking out old photos, if you have them of the people who've gone before you, spending time with those, creating like a little ancestor altar for, particularly for this month of of remembrance, but can be done really anytime. Working with photos, journaling, having dialogues and conversations with people who've gone before you, paying attention to your dreams, 
you know, being alert in nature and calling, you know, even just like calling forth like a connection with someone who's died and then noticing what happens in the natural world and being open to receive that. Um, and, you know, just, you can also, I also just love cemeteries. So mm-hmm. if I, if I go to a cemetery in a city that is, or somewhere that has nothing to do with my ancestors, I still feel that like in Seattle, that was always one of my favorite yeah. places to go. When it feels honoring of mm-hmm. those who, who remain there too, in a way, connecting to those who might have since been forgotten. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they're part of that very same communion of saints that my own ancestors mm. are part of so it's sort of celebrating that community yeah. um so yeah so just even just spending some time in kind of that loving awareness and being open to receive and to have conversation uh and going to places you know like the woods or the ocean or places where you know we might be able to have like a connection to that threshold space, you know, mm-hmm. where na- nature sometimes seems to speak to us in different yeah. ways. Well, I, I, that's what I think often about nature too, is that especially trees, right? These trees were there when yeah. your ancestors were and they, yeah, exactly. they, and they exactly. were there right in that same spot, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah, exactly. Feel like thresholds yeah. as well, portals. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, going, if you have the means to travel abroad in terms of time and resources, I I really recommend walking in those places, you know, where your ancestors were. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really, yeah, it's a really special kind of connection. And I, it's, it's hard even to articulate kind of the awareness and the knowing that comes, but Mm. you know, there's, and there's lots of, like, I've been doing this work for a long time and and just in the last few months, I've sort of picked up the urgency again to trace, mm. particularly on my mother's side, because I've spent so much time with my father's side. But I've been hi- actually hiring a couple of researchers. Oh, wow. Uh, one, one in England who's helping me trace my mother line. And wow. then actually some, somebody in the Czech Republic who's, there's a whole part of my father's ancestry that comes from that part of the world that I hadn't really known about until recently. So I'm they're helping me find like graves and the cities where people lived and all of that and so eventually I'll make little pilgrimages to those places and be able to walk in those places and visit those some of those graves and yeah, yeah. well and and I know too that you know not only our ancestors but the saints many have drawn been drawn for millennia um or without you know what year is it so, you know, maybe almost <laughs> 2,000 years or whatever to go go to the Holy Land since, well, since yeah. the year 400, right? Whenever Constantine mm-hmm. and his mother were doing their thing. Um, and even, you know, the, the traditional pilgrimages that we think about, whether the Camino or Iona, or I, I know that you lead one to the land of Hildeba- Hildegard of Bingen, who has great significance for you, that there's a similar notion of walking in their footsteps as well to connect and learn from in more deep ways in deeper ways. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. There's something about walking in the landscape that has shaped certain people that we feel connected to that helps us grow in intimacy with them. That's a pretty profound thing. And I think a very incarnational Mm -hmm. reality you know, to really recognize the way that the land and the place that we live really does impact us and how we, how we imagine the world to be. Yeah. The gift of the practice of pilgrimage, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. These are questions that I ask everyone, and I would love to hear your your take on them. Mm-hmm. So if you were going on pilgrimage, where would mm-hmm. you go next? <laughs> Which I well, know you will be going somewhere next. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we do have a trip to Prague planned in December. Mm. Well, we're going to go to back to Vienna because I love going there uh-huh. right before Christmas. But we'll go to Prague for a few days. And we and one of the the researcher that I'm working with is going to take us around to oh, some wow. of the places. So um so yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's just going to be three or four days, but I have a feeling that that trip will spark a, a, oh, another trip sure. further down. Yeah. That'll be a bit longer. So how um tell me about getting connected with these researchers. I know, you know, today we've got Ancestry.com and a few other resources that 
can help with that process. But I've also been on Ancestry.com and tried to go so far that it said that, you know, someone gave birth to someone at three years old, you know, where you realize like this might not be accurate. <laughs> so if people were interested in pursuing more accuracy in their family yeah. line, how how do you find someone? It's like a, it's almost like a ancestral private investigator. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love Ancestry.com and I've gotten sucked in there and, and discovered loads of stuff. Yeah. On, so I think it's a great first um, pathway to follow. Uh, now, I was, I was really inspired because I did kind of hit the limits of what Ancestry.com mm-hmm. could offer me in terms, particularly the, the U, my English family line and my Czech line, because a lot of the, the Czech records are not on mm-hmm. the, um, mm-hmm. the Ancestry database. And so, yeah, so I did, I did basically through Google and I looked for, I was kind of looking for people, oftentimes a country will have like a genealogical society and then they'll have members listed who will, who are offering their services. Obviously I wanted someone who could work in English. Um, I'll look at their websites and look at their references, send them a note and have conversation with them. Um, so, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's hit and miss, but I've been quite fortunate mm-hmm, that people mm-hmm. that I'm working with right now are, are great and pretty responsive and have already helped me find, you know, the documents like the birth certificates and yeah. the death certificates and marriage certificates that help you piece it together in yeah. an accurate way. So, well, and it feels special to have a shared story with someone who feels passionate about un- uncovering. All yeah, and it's history. cool. It must be neat for them, you know, mm-hmm. to like be from a country and to help people mm-hmm. whose mm-hmm. ancestors came from that country reconnect, reconnect there. So yeah. 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 Well, tell me what journey you're on right now in your daily life. Obviously, this this is one of them. <laughs> this is definitely a big part of it uh, in my life right now. Um, I'd say kind of what other journeys. Uh, I think a big one for me has just been spending a lot of time with my own writing and particularly poetry writing. And mm. so I've just, uh, yeah, I just, um, I'm having a collection published, uh, through Paraclete Press and I'm really excited about that, but, um, taking, making that journey, Ireland has really inspired the poetry f- writing for me. I've always loved mm. poetry and I've, I've written it in the past, but something about being here and being in it, like an amazing artistic community has really kind of mentored that out of me in new ways. Well, it seems like maybe even the closer you are to that, um, that thin place or that world of imagery, the, you know, that collective unconscious, the closer you are to that creative realm. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I've written the first collection, but I already am thinking the second collection might have something to do with the ancestors. Oh, I love it. Well, do you know when we can expect the first collection? The first collection won't be out till 2019. It's it's a little bit of a slow process. Okay, but... well, we'll be, we'll be counting down. <laughs> well, finally, I know we you mentioned some practices a bit before, but since it's All Saints Day, um, if, if, are there any other practices or rituals you might like to add that listeners can engage in today, tomorrow with All Souls Day and in the season to come that might honor and connect with and learn from those who have gone before them? And that might even be identifying, um, maybe not just the ancestors, but those who have been formative, whether it might be um, a mentor who has passed or an author from generations ago who has meant so much or or a, or a saint. And then I'm going to throw in there too this just the season of of autumn of fall and that significance as well since we we touched on that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think first is if you have any elders that are still living in your life hmm. like ask them to tell their stories yeah. because I I'd say that's one of my griefs in my own life is uh, being an only child and uh, my parents dying quite young and not having a lot of aunts and uncles like there's not a lot of people to talk to about those stories mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and and some some relatives will be more reticent than others but I think there's something really beautiful about just sitting down and saying like I really want to hear about you know and even yeah. asking them about somebody else who's passed away well it, it's so amazing that technologically speaking, we can do so much today, right? But still that 
age-old tradition of passing down the stories. Yes. It's done in the same way and is Absolutely. just as important and vital and significant. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, and I'd just say the other thing would just be if you have photos, spend time with those and maybe put together mm -hmm. a little bit of a of an ancestor shrine, you know, and have... Um, you know, spend a little time, even just five minutes a day and just try during the month of November, the month of remembrance, just to spend five minutes remembering your ancestors and asking them for their support and their guidance. And then just being aware and alert during your daily life and even your nightly life in mm -hmm. terms of your dream life, what, what comes forth, just kind of being, holding that open curiosity and, yeah. um, willingness to receive and mm. see what happens. Well, Thank you so much. Could you close us um, with this sacred time that we've shared with a benediction of sorts that might be fitting for, for our conversation? Yeah, I would love to just share this little reading uh, from Henry Nowen. It's from his book, Bread for the Journey. And uh, yeah, he talks about kind of the need to make these connections. So he says, as we grow older, we have more and more people to remember, people who have died before us. It's very important to remember those who have loved us and those we have loved. Remembering them means letting their spirits inspire us in our daily lives. They can become part of our spiritual communities and gently help us as we make decisions on our journeys. Parents, spouses, children, friends can become true spiritual companions after they have died. And sometimes they can become even more intimate to us after death than they were with us in life. And remembering the dead is choosing their ongoing companionship. Thanks for joining with us today. Find episode notes and sign up to receive updates at asacredjourney.net slash podcast and subscribe to Pilgrim Podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. If you like this episode, I'd be grateful if you'd leave an iTunes review. It only takes a few minutes and will help other seekers just like you join us on this journey. Find out how to leave an iTunes review at asacredjourney.net slash podcast. I'll see you in two weeks for a conversation with eco-theologian and pilgrimage guide Mary de Jong of Waymarkers. Until then, blessings on the journey. Thank you.